Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Whenever we look to God's plans for the futures, we always have to look at Israel. After all, the future is all about Israel. We say that on this program all the time. Of course, the future is about Jesus Christ and his return. But looking at things here in the world, it's all about Israel. It is Israel where Christ is going to return. It's Israel where he protects his people. It's Israel where he will set up his future millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth. So it is Israel to whom the end time prophecies are made and directed. Therefore, it's important for us to understand what's happening in Israel, their situation in the world scheme of things, who their enemies are, and what God says is going to happen to them. This is our third program talking about the Great Reset of 2021. We first discussed the global government that will come to play through the Great Reset through the World Economic Forum. Then we discussed apostasy which is us turning away from God, which causes us to be susceptible to manipulation and deception by Satan, to be deceived into believing the things that are not true or right before God. Well, today we're going to focus on Israel and the tribulation period. I'm Debbie Blank, encouraging you to focus on the hope we have in Jesus, not on the problems that are coming up or that we're seeing or the tribulation or those things. But let's find our joy and peace with Christ in these uncertain times. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. The prophetic time clock concerning Israel in the Middle East has kept on ticking, even though it's been overwhelmed here in the U.S. by news of the COVID crisis and unprecedented domestic and political upheaval. All of these things are important signs, but we need to remember that events involving Israel in the Middle East are some of our most reliable signposts as to where we are on the prophetic biblical timeline and how near we are to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know some things about the unprecedented peace deals with Israel and a number of Middle Eastern nations, but there are other things happening too. All the signs are converging. The pieces are being put in place for a war called the War of Gog and Magog and the beginning of the Tribulation. Today we want to look at all these things and to look at the Bible to see how much closer we really are. We kind of thought under President Trump that we might have a little reprieve of time before things escalated in preparation for the return of Jesus Christ. After all, he was a strong supporter of Israel. He supported Israel's growth. He supported their building settlements more in the West Bank. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He defunded the Palestinian Authority, at least as to the money that they were giving to their terrorists. He made the deal of the century, which is now defunct and we'll never see again. He made more peace deals with Israel and their Arab nations than any other president. So we thought, well, maybe there's a little ray of hope here that we're moving in a good direction before we move into the tough times of the tribulation. Well, that's all gone now. We're seeing a whole shift, this great reset that the world economic powers are talking about, world leaders are talking about, our president is talking about, and that's leading us back into the problems in the Middle East. You see, we had pretty much a year's reprieve of talking about any problems in the Middle East. They just kind of went away because everybody was concerned with COVID. Now they're back. And so now it's important for us to talk about them. We have a group called the Munich Group comprised of Egypt, Jordan, Germany, and France. 
They met on January 11th in Cairo so they could emphasize their commitment to a negotiated two-state solution, ensuring an independent and viable Palestinian state based on June 4, 1967 lines and UN Security Council resolutions living side by side in a secure and recognized Israel. Boy, is that a loaded statement that they made. You'd look at it and say, oh, great, they're coming back to talks. Well, under President Trump, the Palestinian Authority would not even consider any talks because they didn't like the direction President Trump, they thought, was taking them. Once Joe Biden was elected, they went in the opposite direction. And that is, we're ready to come to the peace agreement table again. They haven't been able to come to that for a long time because they're not really willing to negotiate. They've actually proven that for over 100 years of Arab negotiations with Israel. Now we're looking again at a potentially a forced peace agreement with Israel. And one of the key things is this new Munich group. And I'm looking at this Munich group and I'm looking at the statement that you just read about them being so enthused about a two-state solution ensuring an independent and viable Palestinian state. That has been a failed process for all this time. That's why President Trump felt like he was able to circumvent that and just go directly to negotiations with Israel and other states because the Palestinian impediment, once it was moved out of the way and the two-state solution was just set aside, there were actually peace agreements made. To think that they're going to go back very enthusiastically to this two-state solution based on the fraudulent claims that they need to go back to this fraudulent basis of the pre June 4th, 1967 boundaries, it's just incredible to me that they think that they can go back and do this. When we've been talking about reset, it's a form of reset that I think is either bound to fail or like you said, it may end up being something that's a forced peace. Let's talk about what they just said in this statement. First of all, you've got Egypt, which is the strongest of the 22 Arab countries. You have Jordan. Both Egypt and Jordan have peace agreements with Israel. Then you bring in Germany and France. Where are the other countries? Where's England? Where's Russia? It does say that the United States is an important partner in this, and they hope that Joe Biden would be part of all this, and he will because he said he supports it. But you wonder about the players in this. Anyway, let's get back to it. They're talking about a two-state solution, ensuring an independent and viable Palestinian state. Well, what does independent mean? It means that they'll be able to freely come and go from their state anytime they want to. Well, their stated goal in their charter is to destroy Israel. So if they have freedoms to come and go through their borders and bring in anything they want to, they will do as the Gaza Strip has done and bring in rockets to destroy Israel. And when you consider that they are right in the middle of Israel, it won't take very many rockets, nor will it take strong rockets to shoot into the cities of Israel and to destroy them as the members of the Gaza Strip Hamas group have tried to do. And that puts the lie to that last part of that statement where it says living side by side with a secure and recognized Israel. Well, it certainly will not be a secure Israel based on what you just said. There are U.S. documents that have stated years ago that there is no way that Israel would be secure with those borders that they're talking about. Getting back to the statement, they use two real key statements. One is what you just mentioned, secure and recognized Israel. Well, that's one of Israel's preconditions to a peace agreement is that they live in security and they have talked about either the United States or some entity supporting their border all along the Jordan Valley so that people cannot come in through the borders. So secure borders has been huge to Israel. Another thing that's been huge is being recognized. 
recognizing Israel as a Jewish nation, which the Palestinians have not been willing to do. So this statement appeases the Jews, saying that you're going to end up having to secure and recognize Israel. Well, their other statement, saying that these borders are based on the pre-June 4th, 1967 lines, well, that's a precondition of the Palestinians. They've been calling forever for these Conditions, because the pre-1967 borders means that the Palestinians get all of the West Bank, all of East Jerusalem, control of all of the holy sites in East Jerusalem, and a whole bunch more territory than they currently have right now. 1967 timeline that it's talking about is talking about the time before the Sixth Day War was completed in 1967, at which point Israel gained control of all of the land, all of the West Bank, all of Israel as we know it, including the Golan Heights and the Gaza Strip. Israel won it all fair and square in a war that was really perpetrated on them. And now they're being told that they have to go back to those borders from territory that they won, territory that they have controlled now for many decades, and territory that they have built Jewish settlements in, and now they're told they have to go back to these. So this group is trying to appease both sides by putting their language in this statement, but it's as volatile as it can be. In essence, they're really going back to the 1948 borders, which started the wars anyway. So the other side never accepted the 1948 borders. So pre-1967 is just a euphemism for 1948. When they talk about a two-state solution, we know that they are really talking about a one-state solution. They do want to be the one state in the Middle East. So this is just a stopgap for them until they can take over the entire area. That's what they say in their charter. Let's look at a statement in Joel chapter 3, verse 2. When Christ returns, he says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the valley between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. He goes on to say, then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the people and they have divided up my land. He's going to judge the people for dividing up the land. And that's exactly what I believe is going to be the precursor to the beginning of the tribulation is the dividing up of the land. Will it be with the Palestinians? Will that be the peace agreement that will start the tribulation or will it be another peace agreement? We don't know that. Let's go to Daniel chapter nine, because we want to see what it says that will start this tribulation period, why it makes Israel so important in these last days. In Daniel chapter 9, there's a fabulous passage here from verses 24 to 27 that really outline the seven years of the tribulation period. And I say outline, just very generally outline it. Before I read Daniel 9, 27, I've got to lay the groundwork here. In the previous verses, it has set out a timeline for Israel. As a matter of fact, verse 24 says, for your people in your holy city. So it's for Israel and it's for Jerusalem. And this timeline was 490 years. Well, 480 years of that 490 has already been fulfilled. So there's seven years in Israel's future that has not been fulfilled. Those seven years we know from the book of Revelation are called the tribulation period. What's going to start that? That's verse 27 of Daniel 9. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for a week. The he is the Antichrist that is mentioned in the previous verse when it says the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary that that's talking about is the Roman Empire. The prince who is to come is the he in Daniel 9, 27. So he's going to come out of the Roman Empire. He's going to be a person with great power and authority because he says he's going to make a firm covenant. 
firm in the Hebrew means insolent, required, forced covenant with Israel. This is going to be the Antichrist. If you read Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, you see the first horse of the apocalypse, where a person supposedly of peace because he has a bow but no arrows comes in riding on a white horse. That would be the Antichrist looking like a man of peace. And here he's going to come as a man of peace, but he's going to force this covenant on Israel. Well, we can understand that these days because some of the reasons for the peace agreements between Israel and these Arab countries are not because President Trump forced them on them, but he gave them a lot of money and he made a lot of promises to them to help their countries if they would agree to work with Israel. And of course, they want to work with Israel because Israel has a lot of resources and Israel will keep them safe from Iran because they don't know what's going to happen with the United States. So there's a lot of other reasons involved. But you can see how diplomacy works into this forced agreement. When we talk about the World Economic Forum, they're going to have so much power that if Israel doesn't go along with them, or if they want Israel to make this agreement because it's better for the world in the sustainable development program that they're going to have about everybody working together, then the leader of that organization can force Israel with all the power of the organization behind it to make an agreement. So this leader is going to come up. He's going to make a firm covenant with many, which is Israel, for one week, which is seven years. But in the middle of the week, he'll put an end to sacrifices and grain offerings, which means that Israel will have access to the Temple Mount because they will have started offering sacrifices up there again. But halfway through this seven-year agreement, he's going to stop it. And why? We know from Second Thessalonians, he's going to declare himself to be God on the Temple Mount, the Antichrist is. It goes on and say, on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate, even a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. He will eventually be destroyed. That statement right there from Daniel 9, 27 is the beginning of the tribulation period. We also know that from Revelation 6, as I mentioned, as we begin the seven-year tribulation period there, it starts with the same general idea of diplomacy. It all deals with Israel. And we do talk about the rebuilding of the temple and how people in Israel are really, really prepared for that. And they're just waiting for some sort of an agreement that will allow them access to at least some part of the Temple Mount in order to build that temple. If that comes about, then they will be able to have those sacrifices as they used to have and as is predicted in Revelation. And then that would be a signal of somewhere close to the three and a half years before the Antichrist unveils himself as the demonic force that he actually will be. Well, if Palestine's ready to negotiate and you have these world powers who want that negotiation to take place, how's Israel doing these days? We haven't heard much about them for the last year because of the COVID vaccine. It's quite interesting what's happening because for the fourth time in three years, Israel is going to hold elections again. Can you imagine if we went through our fourth presidential election in three years? So all that anybody talks about in the news media. By the way, on a side note, Israel has a democratic government. Because they do, they have elections. The Palestinian Authority has had one election in the last 16 years, and that was to elect Mahmoud Abbas as president for a four-year term. Tells you the difference between the government of the Palestinian Authority and Israel. Well, anyway, Israel has a new election coming up. What's going to happen? Let's give you a little history. Bibi Netanyahu, who's the current prime minister of Israel, has been the prime minister since 1996 with a 10-year caveat in between there. 
He started in 1996. In 1999, he lost the election and was out for 10 years as prime minister. And then he was elected again in 2009 and has been the prime minister ever since then. So he's really the only people that most people in Israel know as prime minister. He is a strong diplomat. He's a statesman. They call him Mr. Security because he's been able to keep Israel secure from their enemies. He's protected the country like nobody else has been able to do. In that regard, he's well respected. But he's so not respected by most of the populace that the vote this time is not going to be on ideology. It's not even going to be on personalities as to who will run against him as much as it is anybody but Bibi. I mean, that's really the theme. That's what Benny Gantz ran on in the last election against Netanyahu. And it was a tie election. Israel's got a unique system that I'm not going to explain. But when it was a tie election, the president decides who can form a government. So they finally decided on a unity government with Benjamin Netanyahu starting out as the prime minister and then Benny Gantz taking over. Well, Benjamin Netanyahu managed to finagle that so that Benny Gantz never became prime minister. That's why there's a new government taking place, a new election happening. But anyway, the point is, everybody who's running right now who has support, they're right wing. You've got Neftali Bennett. He wants to annex most of the West Bank. And then you've got Gideon Saar running with this new hope coalition. He opposes a two-state solution completely. Benjamin Netanyahu has said he supports a two-state solution because that's a politically correct thing to say. But underneath, he doesn't. So whoever wins this election is going to be so far right wing, they will not make an agreement with the Palestinians. Because as you said earlier, the Palestinians want all or nothing. And so any agreement Israel makes with them is going to give up so much that Israel will lose a tremendous amount of ground as a country, and they can't afford to do that. So it's going to be a very interesting election. I would think that the Palestinians would be so inflamed if any of these others get in because of their right-wing stance. When you say that they seem to be against the two-state solution, but also wanting to annex the entire West Bank, most of that is considered Palestinian territory. So what is that saying to the Palestinians? Those who feel that Israel has the right to that land, that's one thing. But what are the Palestinians going to do if that ever happens? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, most of the new Knesset is going to favor taking over more of the West Bank. By the way, that was part of the deal of the century that President Trump agreed to, and that's the direction that they're going. You can see how we're leading up to a point that this current government, whoever it is after March 23rd, will be so right-wing that any agreement's going to have to be forced upon them. And in this day and age, it's pretty easy to force it if the United States and England and Russia and everybody else takes their money away from Israel and the support away from Israel, then Israel will be forced into an agreement, an agreement that they wouldn't necessarily want to happen. Let me just take a side note here. The Palestinian Authority's prime minister, not the president, who's Mahmoud Abbas, he called Jesus the first Palestinian self-sacrificing fighter from whom we learned martyrdom death and who paid for his mission with his life. In other words, he called Jesus a suicide martyr, and he called him a Palestinian, too. So you have the Palestinians totally insulting Christianity, trying to use Jesus as an example of being a martyr for his faith and equating that to people being a martyr for their country and distorting the truth of Christianity. There's a lot of Christians that live in the West Bank, and they are incensed by something like this. 
the martyrdom philosophy is what they're saying that he embraced, and the current model for that is suicide bombers. Yeah, that's really an affront to Christians who really know Scripture, whether they are American Christians or Palestinian Christians. If you know your Scripture, that should be offensive. Biggest threat against Israel is Iran. Iran has threatened to wipe Israel off the face of the earth as a little Satan, and then to come after the United States as the big Satan. So with their attitude towards us like that, why did we ever sign the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with them in 2015 and give them billions and billions of dollars? President Trump dissolved that agreement in 2018. President Biden is going to reenact that agreement. What will it do? It will empower the Iranians again. Right now, the Iranians have been crippled because when President Trump took away that agreement, he also put sanctions on the country, which meant that if anybody did business with Iran, the United States would not do business with them. So the Iranians have been crippled. So now they're threatening the United States, knowing that they can probably get Joe Biden to make that agreement with them again. So they've threatened to enrich up to 20% of uranium at their underground Fordo fuel enrichment plan. And it's actually been proven on January 4th that that's the direction that they're going. So the UN Atomic Energy Agency is urging the United States to restore that nuclear deal to appease Iran. But all it will do was empower them because then the sanctions will be removed. People will be buying their oil. They will become wealthier and then they can develop more armament against Israel. And by the way, even when they have had nothing, they've still been building military installations in Syria so they can get closer to shooting rockets into Israel. So Iran, which has been on the back burner for three years now, is now coming to the forefront again. And they're really mad at Israel because if you've been following it, Israel has been bombing a lot of those installations in Syria. And it's said that they killed their atomic energy specialist. They're really mad at Israel and they're ready to come up and fight against Israel, which matches with the Gog and Magog battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Debbie, it really concerns me when the next administration is going to flip the switch back on for the JCPOA, and all that does is empower Iran. Also, another player in the War of Gog and Magog is Russia, and we haven't talked very much about that. Tell us a little bit about what you see going on in Russia today. Russia is in the same situation as everyone else, and that we're not hearing anything that's happening because of COVID. But don't fool yourselves. They've been building their power. What interests me is that I listened to a speech of Joe Biden in front of the World Economic Forum in 2017. In that speech, he spent most of the time sharing concerns about Russia, about their unwillingness to participate in this new direction that the world is going. By the way, this great reset that we've been talking about isn't just a new idea from the last several months because of COVID. They've been planning it for decades. As a matter of fact, back when we had our economic crisis in 2008, they thought that would be the great reset. But we recovered and it wasn't. So they've been waiting and looking for this. So when Joe Biden said this in 2017, what he was saying is Russia's not really going to work along with us on what we're trying to do. The idea is they're more of an independent entity. They want to be the world power. Right now, they're technically the second or they're fighting China for the second world power, but they want to be number one. They have their own mentality. So if they do not go along with the World Economic Forum, that would separate them. Well, they have a great relationship with Iran, a very close one. Iran cannot function without Russia's help. They could very easily develop a coalition of Russia and Iran. And then there's three other people in that coalition of Gog and Magog, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is Turkey, Sudan, and Libya. Those are minor players right now, but they're all potential players because of the oil 
involvement, which is a big issue with Russia. Let me take you to Daniel 7, 8, which is another description of the world powers. Of the world powers at the end, it says, while I was contemplating the horns, and this is the 10 horns of the 10 governments at the end times in this coalition. Behold, another horn, a little one came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Understanding this passage, you've got a 10 nation confederacy that developed into this whole one world government. And then a new, a little horn will come up. That's the Antichrist. And when he takes power, he's going to get rid of three of these 10 nation confederacies. So now you're going to have a seven nation confederacy towards the end. Okay, imagine that Russia is one of the 10 of these global units. And then they decide they're not going to go along with the direction. What happens? The Antichrist plucks them away. That's one of the last three. And then you look at Iran. That's part of another section apart from Russia. What if they pluck them out? That's another one of the horns. I don't know who the third horn would be, but it could be Northern Africa, because I think Northern Africa and Southern Africa are two different parts of the 10-part puzzle. That's where Sudan and Libya are, and they're connected to Turkey, so that could be another horn. So you could have those five entities separating from the rest of the global unit and going after Israel in this Gog and Magog war. Now, this is conjecture. I have no idea if this is how God's going to do it. I don't know who these three horns are that are plucked out. I'm just throwing the scenario out that based on what we're seeing in the world today, that is a potential possibility that at least Russia will be one of the horns that will not go along with the players because they've said they won't. Joe Biden said they wouldn't in 2017. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 says that they're not going to go along with the rest of the world. It's just a matter of how this plays out. Then you look at China. China's getting a lot of attention these days in the news media. We never talk about China when it comes to the biblical prophecies because they're not mentioned in scripture. However, there is a mention in Revelation 9, 13 through 18, of 200 million man army. There's only two entities in this world that have that kind of an army. One is China, and the other would be a confederation of all the Muslim people in the world that are of military age. Those are the only two that could amount to that. But there will be a 200 million man army. They will come east of the Euphrates, according to that Revelation 9 passage in the sixth seal trumpet, and a third of the mankind will be destroyed by them. Well, China has a nuclear weapon. It could be them. The Islamic group doesn't, even though Pakistan does and some Islamic countries do. So it could be China that is gaining so much power now that they want more power. And if they are not part of this World Economic Forum, or if they get mad at Israel in one reason or another, they could move towards Israel with their army and kill that many people. That's what the Bible says will happen. And we're seeing an army of that size. Not until the last couple of centuries did we have that many people on the face of the earth, let alone an army that size. So we're seeing that this could be a precursor to the tribulation period for these things to happen. We're there, folks. We're getting near the end. But we can't let fear take over. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We must realize that our God is sovereign. He's got a plan for these last days. It's going to be tough, but he is our hope. He is our strength. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the only one who knows what's going to happen. So he's the one we can trust to bring about the right things at the right time. He has chosen to share his plans with us, so let's learn about him. 
in his word. We need to be ready, we need to be alert, and we need to be faithful in these last days, as Jesus told us in Matthew 24. Are you ready for the tribulation that's going to come upon this world? I'm not talking about stockpiling toilet paper and food. I'm talking about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because food's only going to last you for a little while, but a relationship with Jesus Christ is eternal. And he's the one who gives you peace and hope. He's the one you can trust in in these days that are coming upon us. So I hope you'll turn your heart and attention to Jesus Christ because he is our hope. He is our strength. He is our savior. He is our almighty God. He is our El Shaddai. He is our great provider. He's the one who loves us unequivocally. And he's the one that will carry us through whatever the future holds. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154. Or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.